Welcome to the Evolving Digital Self Podcast, where we explore the conscious use of technology. Listen in to hear thought leaders and other guests discuss the human relationship with technology and learning to thrive in the digital era. Hosted by the author of the international best-selling digital self-mastery series and being at work, Dr. Heidi Forbes Usta. Welcome back to the Evolving Digital Self Podcast. I'm very excited to introduce to you an old friend from many years back when I was actually developing uh, technology tools myself, who has been an incredible influence in the community of growing startups and entrepreneurs. Her name is Julie Meyer, and she is the CEO of Ariadne Capital Group Fund and also the founder of Entrepreneur Company. She got started early out with launching the first Tuesday, which she sold in July 2000, and since then has done phenomenal work with supporting incredible growth of new companies coming to the market. Welcome, Julie. Welcome. Thank you so much, Heidi. It's great to be uh, asked to be on your show. I've I've watched this grow. It's increasing success over the years. It's been fascinating to watch how it's developed. It's a real pleasure to be in touch with you again and to work with you. Thank you. And, and I really appreciate you taking the time to join us today. So a lot of things have happened since we last spoke. Can you give the audience a little bit of an idea of what you're working on now and your journey to get to here? Absolutely. And you know, it, it is really a journey. I think what what entrepreneurs do, and of course, I, as the child of an entrepreneur, um, my father built a very important healthcare business in the United States. I think, you know, I was just always going to end up as an entrepreneur. You kind of grow up with this, you know, kind of crazy existence as a child, and you learn that, you know, this this is what it takes to build a business. It's not easy. And so I never thought it would be. And so I, I really set very high goals in terms of the challenges and the problems in the market that I I went after and that I was willing to, you know, to try to solve. I, I'm a system level thinker. I'm a, somebody who takes a macro view. It's just the way my brain works. I think it has a lot to do with being a humanities major and seeing kind of how it, you know, in different periods of time, how everything kind of worked together to make a, a certain common sense emerge. And so, you know, essentially what I've, I've done as a young woman, I came to Paris and started working with technology businesses. I did INSEAD and started to understand, you know, the tools of building businesses. And then I went into investments, helped some of the leading uh, European technology startups succeed by backing them. Explosive growth companies like lastminute.com and, and uh, WGSN and beat that quote we sold to Google and monetize, which became a billion dollar business and the first peer to peer lending company in the world. Skype, we were the first advisors and so forth. And so building on that, I could see that with every successful company, there was like a supernova effect because people understood what it took to build successful businesses and then they would go off and typically kind of return the favor to society and the economy and build something, create something that would create growth jobs, solve new problems in different industries. So I got to the, you know, the kind of financial downturn and thought, okay, right, what do we do? How do we take this, the Ariadne Capital platform to the next level? And a lot of things started to become clear that there was a certain set of things that all businesses required and that we had been doing these and that we could open that up and that we could actually provide them in almost like an over-the-top solution to the European marketplace. And that's where 
you know, that's where a lot of our platform approach, both our multi-manager investment platform, uh, Entrepreneur Country as a corporate platform connecting startups to corporates, but then also just the, the whole ecosystem economics investment strategy where we really started to understand that the successful companies are the ones which are organizing the economics for their ecosystems. All of that just came from not not at all because um, I think I'm so smart, but because I work with some of the smartest people on the planet, the entrepreneurs that were building businesses in Europe, and I just paid attention. I did anything I could to help them. And uh, by working with entrepreneurs, you can't help but become a better person. Uh, you can't help but learn, and you can't help but really put together the design of what's happening. So we're continuing now to take that to the next level. I've been joined by some incredibly important business partners that honestly, Heidi, I just have to pinch myself. I can't believe that these people are backing me today. Um, but right about the time that this will be broadcast and so forth, we'll be making some, um, you know, some announcements, new things will be emerging. So we're going through the kind of third step, uh, the next big step up. It feels really, really good that we're able to take it. Uh, we're taking it global. We're taking it into the world of kind of made asset management uh, and connecting major asset management to the backing of European technology startups and entrepreneurs. That's so exciting and so important today because one of the biggest challenges that startups have is really getting the funding to get launched, to get out there. I would say the other piece, which it sounds like you support them in that as well, is just helping them understand how to have a good business structure. I see that a lot in the companies that I advise. They've got great ideas, great products, but they haven't thought through the entire business structure and how to, whether it's the distribution piece or the where are they going to get manufactured or just pulling all the different business aspects of it together. So it's really, really I important. I couldn't agree more. Um, you know, corporate architecture is the number one thing that dictates a company's future. And a lot of people would argue with me on that, but I've seen incredible products, incredible sales teams, incredible market opportunities fail because the corporate architecture was not ready. And what people have to remember, and it's really like this in almost you know any deal in your life, your personal life and professional, is that the deal is always done at the beginning. You can only course correct later. You fundamentally never renegotiate. And so in the foundations of a team, in the foundations of bringing investors in, all of these key, you know, structural decisions about corporate architecture, which, you know, which dictate your ability to set up supply chains, to bring, you know, multiple products or to do the various things that you have to do to be agile and to, you know, seize market opportunities. You have to have a structure and an architecture, real, what I refer to as a positive architecture to enable you to do that. The other thing that you said at the beginning there was about, you know, just funding and, you know, here we are in the second half of 2018 and the, the very same things 20 years ago when I was coming out of INSEAD and, you know, you could say, wow, it felt like, you know, the European technology uh, landscape was opening up and, you know, people like Ronald Cohen with APAX and all of these, you know, parties were out there really forging ahead and, you know, Tom Teichman, who I ended up uh, working with at New Media Investors, you know, we would have somehow thought that 20 years from now, it would have all just, you know, gotten terribly straightforward and easy. But even though Europe has so much capital, it really doesn't apply its capital to its entrepreneurial ventures. It's still today 
is, you know, putting uh, property, you know, money into property in Berlin or backing private equity, later stage buyout firms and so forth. But, you know, Europe will get the growth story that it deserves, the high growth, 5% GDP growth when it decides that it wants to back its wealth creators, when it wants to back the entrepreneurs that are going to be building the new economies that are going to create ecosystems in Europe and that we don't just want to sell everything to the American and the Chinese. So important. And I think that there's one piece in there that, you know, it's sort of the, the elephant in the room that I know you is something that's sort of dear to both of our hearts is women getting access to capital and how women are perceived in this whole space, because there's a lot of incredible talent of women out there, but they're not always taken seriously for the amazing work that they're doing. And so it's it's often very hard for them to get access to capital or get access to even the opportunity to have a conversation about it. It is. And, you know, it's it's an issue I would have said, gosh, five years ago, I would not have been willing to talk about that even, you know, probably a year ago. I would not have really been able to internalize it until you get to the point and you, you have experiences in life where you just realize that people are simply absolutely biased against you because you're a woman. And, and, and unfortunately, you, you just you have to accept it. You know, you can choose how much you want to talk about it. You can choose how much you want to solve that problem. What I see is a lot of good men who have daughters who are acting in a way to make sure that the world that their daughters grow up in is simply a different world. And I'm, I'm fortunate to work with amazing men who mutual respect, bend over backward to, to kind of get the best out of me and for me to get the best out of them. So, you know, you still have to treat things on a case by case basis and accept that things are changing. But yeah, it's, it's been something that I very, very reluctantly had to accept in my personal professional life. Uh, because I just always kind of powered forward. Um, I've had so many people tell me, you know, Julie, you should be managing a billion dollars or, you know, oh, Julie, you know, this, that or the other thing. And, you know, I just let it slide off of me and let other people's sexism or biases and so forth not become things that I would even pay attention to. I think where I, where I am today, Heidi, is that I just want to continue to help smart people win. You know, if I have if I have, uh, you know, <laughs> more weaknesses than most people, I think it's because I am just so focused on putting the entrepreneur at the heart of society. And it, it is it is a slightly religion for me because, you know, entrepreneurs just really understand full, total accountability. And so what we need, we need our children to understand that. We need to understand that things do not happen because governments make revenue happen. Governments can create positive environments uh, for entrepreneurs to work. But we have, a, we have a saying, which is society works best when it's organized around the entrepreneur. Society works best when it's organized around the entrepreneur. And that's what my life is about. That's what I want my life to be about. And uh, I do believe that women have a very particular uh, role. Um, one of the chapters of my book, Welcome to Entrepreneur Country, was the world is becoming feminine. That's not that, you know, women are becoming, um, you know, the only players or the most important players because some of the most successful men I know have feminine leadership qualities, and that, which I kind of defined in my book as all the positive things, transparency, trust, and, you know, and so forth. I rounded them all up and called them feminine. You know, the point is, is just that leadership styles are changing. And, and I want the, the people with the best values, with sustainable economics at their core, 
uh, who are the smartest, who are seeking the best impact in these kind of figure eight business models. We, we take everybody into the investment cycle and we get everybody out on the you know return on investment. We leave nobody behind. We don't make choices that these groups are going to be- benefit over those groups, with the exception of people who want to play into building their personal economies, who want to take full accountability for themselves, et cetera. Those are the people you know that my firm and, and my friends and myself are going to be focused on helping. And it just so happens that we back a huge number of women, that we have a huge number of great women shareholders and people in our team um, and so forth. So it all just kind of seems to be coming out more and more in the wash. That's great. And I think the more that we can have organizations like yours that really have that balance, because it's not necessarily gender, it's more about different characteristics of what makes an entrepreneur really um, able to contribute in such a valid way. And so thank you so much for your work. It's been fun watching your journey. What are some of the things that you've seen coming into the pipeline in terms of entrepreneurs or shifts, particularly in the technology space? Because you've really got your your ear to the ground or even more your hands in the dirt, rather, in uh, the entrepreneur space of what's happening in the shift in Europe. What do you see that's changing there? I'm a big believer that just because Europeans and Americans, you know, frequently kind of look alike and sound alike, but we're very, very different. An American who went to Paris, you know, 30, uh, 30 years ago, and basically, you know, I've lived my entire adult life in Europe. But I think Europe thinks like an eldest child, and I think America thinks like a later born child. I think in Europe, we want to enable and extend the estate. Uh, we de- in, in America, they, they tend to think it's all better if you start all over. Money solves any problem. Let's rebuild it, right? I think if we had the same entrepreneur of the same caliber as Travis who built Uber in Europe, instead of saying, why don't we throw $60 billion at the problem and restart the entire you know, transportation industry all over, he or she would have said, well, you know, we've got 500 million people. We've got an existing infrastructure. Let's enable and extend that with an over-the-top you know, platform applications and so forth. So, so the good news is that Europe has an opportunity to demonstrate it's a much more fertile, capital-efficient way to take things to market at this point in the innovation cycle. We believe at Ariadne Capital that the Davids are transforming the Goliaths coming ecosystem economics players. So starting off with platforms, but the way that the Davids and the Goliaths connect in different different markets is driving the value. And so we're seeing industries from space become new space, you know, transportation become transportation and mobility. And through our entrepreneur country platform, we're seeing an engagement where the smart Goliath, the traditional, the incumbent players, conventional established businesses are saying, okay, right, we get it. We have to become platforms. Operating models are changing. Um, you know, we're a city. We're the city municipality of, you know, wherever, Nice, Zurich. And instead of just expecting government to subsidize the infrastructure, we're going to be, have to become a platform and to build new types of revenue through apps. Uh, cities of platforms. So then our fund will back, you know, smart city uh, propositions. So we're going after whether it's space, uh, smart cities, transportation, media entertainment. Our platform is a multi-manager platform, which is just a, a kind of fancy way of saying we see different ecosystems. We take our pair of glasses, which is that the winners in these ecosystems are going to be the either the groups of companies or the companies that are organizing the economics of these networks, these ecosystems. And we back the companies that show 
and intent to become the leaders. And we do that because, as I mentioned earlier, you know, I've joined forces with major, major folks in the asset management world, with major people in other markets that I previously have not worked in. So we're not just a European firm anymore. We're certainly a firm whereby really significant people are saying, okay, You've been banging on about that for 10 years, Julie. I kind of get it now. The world is approaching your vision. And so we're going to put serious money behind that. Um, So, you know, I'm fascinated. I'll spend, you know, most people kind of watch bad TV, go shopping too much or hang out with people they don't like. I will spend every waking moment of my life actually with entrepreneurs, even even the ones that aren't particularly articulate or haven't thought through all of their plans and so forth. I always learn something from these men and women. And I I find that the most cathartic, beneficial, kind of positive thing, the step that it requires a human being to say, I believe that my unique contribution is actually to create something, to solve a problem. And I'm willing to put myself out there to take the shots in the back, to you know, take personal risks, put my money where my mouth is, lead a group of people. It's just, it just honestly doesn't get better than that. And even then, you have certain runaway successes of which we've been fortunate to be involved in quite a few of, more than half a dozen, where, yeah, I mean, it's just like a drug. You know, honestly, <laughs> when you see people where the timing is there, the charisma of the leader, the synchronicity of the way the team operates, it's like a beautiful game of basketball. <laughs> and you just say, oh, holy, you know, I just nothing is better than it, right? It's like a drug. And I think if more people could see that, if we could get more people from senior, from middle, or whatever part of management, in the so-called rest of the real world, you know, the group of people that are not risking their financial futures by doing startups, go hang out with entrepreneurs, just be an advisor, just listen to them. When you're at a dinner party on a Saturday night and somebody says, I have an idea, say, oh, interesting. I really want to hear your idea. Go sit next to them and make him or her feel special, right? Because they are the creative force that drives the world forward. And what we know is that if we pay attention to leading academic thinkers like Carlotta Perez, who have said, you know, very helpfully that the same thing happens every 60 to 80 years, we move from a disruptive technology force in the market to a new common sense. What we know from her research is that the difference between the 60 and the 80 year cycle is that if it happens in 60, prosperity rips through society. The faster we get to the future, the better, actually. We shouldn't be afraid of everything's being automated because new industries, jobs, and so forth are built on top of that. And so the worst thing that can, we can do is to not have the right conversation in society, to resist the future, to share hatred and fear. And, you know, oh, those entrepreneurs are getting wealthy. No, most entrepreneurs actually are not wealthy. Most of them have everything at stake. People think that the life of the entrepreneur is glamorous. It is so not glamorous. And uh, what they are, so they're just obsessed. You know, entrepreneurs are people who are obsessed. Unfortunately, I would have to say they have a lot of negative personal characteristics because they're they're under so much stress. Anybody who's looking at Elon Musk, you like him, you don't like him, whatever, everybody in the universe would have to say that man is under unbelievable personal stress right now, right? And so those are unique people that everybody needs to care about, not because we're trying to glamorize it, but we have to recognize that all of our prosperity comes down to how entrepreneurs are treated in society. Absolutely. And I think, you know, you emphasize a really important point of that, that 
it is very stressful and that self-care is something that often gets dropped through the loops while in the process of launching some of these amazing innovations and actually creating the change. I'm curious for you, how do you take care of yourself in that process? Because you're being this support system, but you're an entrepreneur yourself, but on the different side of it, more on the funding side, but still, you know, self-care is really important in order to to take these things all the way to the launch and uh, thriving stage. So what do you do? Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I just celebrated my 52nd birthday the other day. And I love saying that because everybody tells me I don't look 52. So I say it, you know, people say, oh, you shouldn't say your age. But actually, I love it because I've got 50, 52 years of wisdom. And I feel really great about that. I'm, and I'm so much smarter. I'm so much everything than I was, you know, years ago. So I think, first of all, you have to really embrace life and love it. And you have to, I take care of myself by being positive and optimistic. And actually, the more negativity what people People throughout the years sometimes occasionally attack me, whatever. What they don't realize is that they make me more of who I am. They don't intimidate me. They, they make me more of who I am. So if they don't like me, they're actually you know, doing the reverse of it. I become more optimistic. I become, become more positive. I become more everything. And uh, I, I also do it by just, you know, I'm, nobody believes me, but I'm an introvert. I'm an INTJ. Mm-hmm. I, I love, too. you know, spending time with people. I run networking events and things like this. But actually, I get all of my energy by spending huge amounts of time on my own. So I'm one of those. If you've ever done the Myers-Briggs, I'm an INTJ. And I'm like way off the charts, INTJ. There's like not even a closeness to any of the other categories. And so I like to spend time thinking. And so I'm happiest when I can spend time on my own and when I can think. And so that's kind of consistent with the way I was educated, with the way my family is. I've always been a loner and I've always been somebody who needs sleep. I need to work out. I need to literally take care of myself from a very fundamental um, point of view. Some, some entrepreneurs let go in a completely different way, which would drive me crazy, you know, the, by parting until, you know, all hours of the day or night that would exhaust me and, and tire me out. Uh, but you make a really good point that your chief asset is yourself. And I, you know, if I look about uh, other people in my family, because I come from a family of entrepreneurs, just, you know, just the number of, you know, my father created an industry and people in my family are just credible entrepreneurs. Um, it, we're lucky in that we also have the kind of strength to do it. A lot of it is physical energy. And I've been told I have a lot of physical energy and and I think you just, you know, you have to maximize that. You have to optimize that however you do it. Well, and you also brought up a great point in that, yes, it's the energy, but it's also rest is really important and to end taking care of sleep. I mean, you look at the research that uh, Ariana Huffington has been sharing with the world about sleep and all that. There's a, a lot of great technologies that are coming out to support our ability to sleep better and to get more rest and both for our our minds through meditation apps to actual sleep tools that help us track and understand what's going on with our sleep cycles. Do you use any of those in your self-care routine? I'm fascinated by the work that she has done and I'd love to spend more time with it. I, I you know, all I can say is I sleep. I, I don't understand these people who sleep four hours and feel great. You know, Margaret Thatcher apparently did that and so forth, but no, I, I sleep eight hours. And to be honest, I, I just, am, I'm not good <laughs> if, if I don't have eight hours of sleep. And obviously frequently I have to, you know, frequently you're, you're traveling and schedules and all the rest of it, but I, I don't actually function really well unless I get eight hours of sleep. And, 
and uh, it's just it's been that way for 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 a long time, you know. And I'm I'm just a really clear thinker after eight hours and and so forth. So I really try to prioritize that. I also get up really early in the morning. I'm a, somebody who who loves to be up, you know, where I live. I'm able to to get up and to just it's a beautiful part of the world, and you know the birds and I kind of do my exercises about five thirty six a.m. in the most magnificent, glorious, beautiful part of the world there is. And and I I just think surrounding yourself with beauty and making sure that you know you're in communication with people so that they can rely on you and just shaking off. You know, entrepreneurs have to remove negativity from their life literally just actively remove it because so many people can um, become jealous because we are people who don't you know we don't believe that we have limits we think that we can do anything we just apply ourselves and so forth but a lot of people are not built that way and so they encounter us and they you know they they think to themselves well you know who is she you know who is she to think that she can do you know, a billion euro investment platform and that she could, you know, do this or she could do that. Or, you know, where does she get that self-confidence? Oh my God, she loves herself so much. And oh my God, you know, uh, she's so, she's so this, she's so that. And you, you know, the statements that people make about you are just obviously driven by misogyny and jealousy. And, and you just, it can be shocking because you think, wow, why didn't they just focus on themselves and, and trying to figure out what their unique contribution to the world is. So what I think we need is we need entrepreneurs to continue to help other entrepreneurs. We were the first people in Europe to create that entrepreneurs backing entrepreneurs model. Quite a few people followed. But people who have gone into the burning building of developing a, a company and getting it through to the other side, who have gone through their near-death experience and gotten through to the breakthrough moments, those those entrepreneurs have a lot to to do to share with the next generation coming through. It's not even something as as formal as mentoring or coaching. It's just entrepreneurs backing entrepreneurs. And that is what I seek to do. I started that with Ariadne Capital. We certainly had a hand in that with First Tuesday. We continue to do that with Entrepreneur Country. And that is the virtuous circle of wealth creation, growth in society, sustainable economics, helping people build their personal economies by doing that. And that's that's what my life is about, what I wanted to continue continue to be about. I love it. And and I mean, I've so experienced your work and that, uh, you know, for anybody to call you selfish and self-centered is kind of ridiculous because the work you do is so giving and does really contribute to society and to the growth of entrepreneurs who, as you say, are the core to our future. So I just want to acknowledge you for the amazing work that you've done and, and, uh, and really appreciate it. Thank you very, very much. It's, it's, it's very, I, I do my bit. I have to admit it's not altruistic at all because I love what I do. And so if you can, if you can find what you love to do and what you're, you're good at, I think that's what I call one's unique contribution. And the good thing um, was after coming, kind of coming through INSEAD, uh, because there were so many talented people at INSEAD, I had to start playing to my strengths. Um, I'd kind of spent my 20s kind of trying to fix all my weaknesses and, and all the rest of it. And you get to a place like INSEAD with these incredibly brilliant people and you say, good grief, I better I better just play to my strengths. And then you kind of develop an unfair advantage in certain areas and that kind of became pretty clear to me. And I you know, wrote about that in my book. And I think what each one of us in the world really needs to do is to figure out what our unique contribution to the world is. And you know, some people never even ask that question. They, they just, you know, they go through life and they live and they die. And, you know, the world never, never remembers them and never even noticed that they were here or there because they never even, you know, thought about it. 
you know, and then we see people and we've, we've had a couple in the, in the past couple of days from Banky Moon to John McCain to just all sorts of wonderful people that have passed. And you see people that spent their entire life in service. And so, uh, you know, I think that is what life is, is figuring out what your unique contribution to the world is. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, obviously, the, the work that you're doing does has an incredible contribution to that. But I think for those of you listening, of course, you can do it on a large scale, but you can also your purpose may be uh, in being support of someone who has a greater purpose. And uh, so part of it is understanding where, where your forte is, where your passion is. And if you're the one with a great idea, find a team of people that can support you in making that that idea reality. I think there's so many different roles to it. And occasionally we get sort of caught up in, well, I may not be the only person that can do this, or, you know, my idea won't be the billion dollar idea, but it still may impact the world or your, your support may impact the world by supporting someone, whether it's an entrepreneur or... I could agree. I agree with that more, you know, Americans and, you know, being one, you know, kind of busted, but, you know, Americans tend to kind of talk constantly, first of all, but we tend to promote ourselves and our ideas a lot. Most of the world doesn't. And so it can be, it can feel like somehow, you know, you can feel diminished. Well, you know, I'm I'm just teacher, you know, I'm just a, I'm just a mother. I'm just, you know, I'm just um, somebody who sits, uh, you know, in Captain Teeb and handles the boats in the harbor, you know, what is it? And it's that the point is, is that you, you may actually be somebody who is a facilitator, providing stability, providing friendship, providing small amounts of capital, providing education, stable upbringing, all of the rest of it. And, uh, and it's, it's for everybody to recognize those contributions uh, because we live in an interdependent world. And the interdependent world is based upon people becoming independent, being accountable, not being victims, but certainly not being people who say, hey, it's working for me. You know, I'm getting what I want out of the system and, uh, and be damned with the rest of it. And so that's a real call to action for us to create sustainable models. I call it the figure eight, where we bring everybody into whatever problem we need to solve, whether it's, you know, getting migrants across the Mediterranean or, or getting people out of debt, whatever the, the, the problems are that we need to solve, we've got to do those in ways where we don't leave people behind unless they choose through their own behavior to refuse it, you know, responsibility. That's the only kind of category for me was that if somebody just refuses to accept they've got a problem and that they've got a sickness or, you know, they can't manage their debts or their monies or whatever, then I think at a certain point, you just have to say this person is not, is not accepting personal accountability. But, you know, what, what I think I have, which is why it can be very provocative to people is I have a very consistent worldview. And uh, for me, it, it only gets stronger and deeper through the influences that I've had and, and the entrepreneurs I had. I had an amazing entrepreneur uh, just last night. I was at dinner listening to them and the, the level of dedication and what it's done to their personal life and what they're doing. These are, these are incredibly inspiring stories about how the world goes forward, the ingenuity that comes unlocked. And, you know, these entrepreneurs have always been there. You know, Christopher Columbus was an entrepreneur. Uh, Queen Isabella was his venture capitalist and just, you know, kind of had a piece of the upside. But even Michelangelo, people who painted the Sistine Chapel and so forth, that creative genius has always been there. And so, but it takes the team uh, to deliver. 
And, you know, and I think that we just can, we continue to see these patterns like what Carlotta Perez talks about, these 60 to 80 year innovation cycles. And, uh, you know, and, and I think that what we're missing from the political dialogue that I see is just a recognition of the harmony through these, you know, interdependence models, the figure eight sustainable economics. We're still talking about winners and losers, uh, who's doing what to whom, right, left. Is, I, I don't even understand the concepts of right and left anymore. Hmm. Uh, what I understand are, you know, either we're growing. If we're growing, are we sharing the growth, right? If we're not growing, we have a problem, right? If, if it's a tragedy of the commons, then we're all fighting over the crumbs under the table. So first thing we have to do is we have to grow. And that's what entrepreneurs do. If we build growth in society, like had a fascinating discussion recently about how the space industry only recognizes countries. So Luxembourg right now is doing an incredible job uh, bringing companies in the space industry to Luxembourg. And just as my friend and my sister, Candace Johnson, the founder of SES Astra, through SES Astra that brought just hundreds of billions of GDP to Luxembourg and to the European Union because of that company's impact in Luxembourg over the past 25 years. And so, you know, the point is, is that GDP of countries comes from entrepreneurs setting up there and building companies and building growth. And it really honestly is just that simple. What do we need? Do, do they need coffee every morning? Give them coffee. Do they need to pay as little tax as possible? Yes, they do. Do we need to get early stage companies, you know, relief from, you know, regulation and so forth? Of course. Do we need to make them welcome in society and encourage them, uh, shine spotlights on them? You know, the Financial Times needs to be doing 80-20 in the opposite direction. Instead of talking about, you know, some shenanigan that somebody did that's depressing and all the rest of it, 80% of the coverage of these publications should be on the triumphs of how these new industries are being built, giving people reassurance and inspiration that the the job creators, these companies are coming through, because as it is, no wonder so many people are driven by fear and angst and so forth. If you read the newspaper, watch the news, you want to go kill yourself, <laughs> right? You hang out with entrepreneurs, you feel uplifted. You listen to their near-death experiences and how they, they break through. I'll never forget meeting the Angry Birds uh, management team up in Helsinki. What they were doing really, really well. I mean, they were one of the the top hottest companies uh, years back. And I remember thinking that they were going to gloat and they would be arrogant. All they could do was tell me about the seven times they almost went bust. <laughs> and then one of them would say, well, remember the, th you know, re remember when this, oh no, that was the third time we almost went bust. And they said, no, no, I think that was the fourth time we almost went bust. And then do you remember? And then, you know, and then I was out in Croatia and I had somebody say, you know, well, we we're almost going bust. And then somebody wire transferred us $50,000. We didn't even know who it was until we realized it was somebody from Florida. You know, people have these amazing stories about how they beat the odds in not going bust as an entrepreneur. And unless you are part of that ecosystem, you can't understand it. You think this is crazy. It's irrational. It's not possible. But that is what most of society is missing out on. I think we need to get those stories out there. We try to get that across with Entrepreneur Country TV. I know you focus on it. And that's that's just really the best bit of living and is hearing so, how people are beating the odds and not allowing the bastards to win, but breaking through, fighting their way through impossible situations with, you know, creative solutions with massive constraints where they shouldn't, it shouldn't work. It should, they shouldn't win. 
and they beat the odds and, and get through. I love that. And I think it's really important. You bring up a really important point, which is there's the community and support system and where entrepreneur country fits in with that role. And can you tell a little bit about how that evolved? Because I think that back in the day when, when you first started, it was sort of a, a network gathering and then it became a much bigger thing. And I think it's important for our listeners to know that this is a great resource for them in some ways. Thank you very much. So entrepreneurcountryglobal.com is the website. Uh, you can register to watch Entrepreneur Country uh, TV, which broadcasts every week. Uh, it's a community of 325,000 citizens. Uh, we've established property rights for consumer data inside of Entrepreneur Country. What does that mean? It means in the test piloting of applications at corporates, and startups, uh, startups because they need to establish product market fit, corporates because they're trying to innovate and, and get to the future by engaging with startups. We enable our citizens to participate in the test piloting and sharing of their preferences in uh, exchange for a piece of the upside. So, so the whole model, the kind of logic behind Entrepreneur Country is to optimize for the system level win by first optimizing for the profit at the unit economics level. And say so that one more time, optimize for the system level win by optimizing for the profit at the unit economics level. And so we do that by releasing formats from Entrepreneur Country TV to David and Goliath lunches and dinners to working with corporates on break into your own house workshops because corporates know how they're being disrupted. They don't need help there. They need to figure out how to move from disruption to enablement. And we have a whole series of things build a country campaigns where we help to find innovation for startups. And we do that on a pan-European basis. We have a lot of new programs uh, starting. We're building an AI portfolio, artificial intelligence portfolio with L3C, which is one of the leading technology companies in Europe, founded by Lubo Chetanov. That innovation program around AI, specifically drilling into how AI solutions can help large enterprises to solve their problems is something that we're launching uh, right about the time that this will be being broadcast. And we'll be taking Entrepreneur Country uh, forward in a big way with the announcement of some new team members and some new some new backing as well. It started just really because I was watching something at some point and, and some commentator on TV said this is was referring to some phenomenon or startup in the market in about 2006 and said this is Google Country. And I said, I am so tired of everybody assuming that Google is going to own everything. I said, that's not Google Country, that's Entrepreneur Country. Entrepreneurs are going to own that space, not Google. And so I started to, to really think that it embodied my whole worldview, again, that society works best when it's organized around the entrepreneur. If we just simply organize and, and nowhere, not America, not Silicon Valley, not China, not anywhere, do we fundamentally organize society around the entrepreneur, where we say, first, we need to create growth. We need to put the entrepreneur at the heart of society and everything from that then. It's not that we don't need firemen or doctors or other people, you know, that are doing things which are not entrepreneurial. But first, we need to make sure that we're actually creating wealth, prosperity. And from that, if we are a wealthy country, then, of course, we can invest in education. We can invest in firemen and doctors and all the rest of it. But uh, 
that's what Entrepreneur Country is all about. It's a very important layer to our entire investment platform, even if it is a separate company. It has its own enterprise value management team, IP, etc. But it is also very additive. So when people refer to our multi-manager investment platform, they say, oh, that's a, you know, a fund of funds platform or, oh, that's a that's a, a, you know, what is an investment platform? I said, well, we're not just about taking regulation and compliance away or adding money. We're adding a whole series of layers of value to our underlying portfolio company. And Entrepreneur Country is a big piece of that. It's the way that we see the world, that corporates and startups are, are dancing. David and Goliath are dancing. And that venture capital investing is not outsourced R&D but it's getting close that if you are investing, you know, with my hat as the managing partner of the area, I capital entrepreneurs. fund. if I'm investing in things that I, uh, you know, the, the management teams are building in kind of splendid isolation without checking in with the corporates that they need to sell into that, that, you know, is not a part of the software stack in these businesses, retailers or transportation companies or insurance companies or whatever, then we're just, in, you know, we're investing in things that will not have a market. Mm-hmm. And so we fundamentally believe in checking in with the corporate revenues as quickly as possible to establish that product market fit. Other people want to invest much more deeply in kind of fundamental science or, you know, the next disruptive technology. We're much more simple and we have a very straightforward pair of glasses that says, you know, 99% of the universe has not gone digital. (laughs) We'll focus on the things that are going to enable that that traditional set of businesses to go digital and to become platforms. and, and And that's where we operate. That's uh, very exciting. And and for those of you listening that want to learn more about Julie's work and Ariadne Capital and Entrepreneur Country and everything else that particularly her book, I think we'll, we'll put some links there so you can find that as well. Those will all be in the show notes. If you're driving, please do not try to write down a URL. I will, you can check out the show notes later. Julie, this has been such a pleasure having you on today. I feel like we could go on for hours because there's so many other things that I want to ask you. So we might have to have you back. But do you have any closing thoughts that you want to share with the the digital selfers out there today? Yeah, you know what I would say is just never give up, never accept no, and never go away, even when they want you to. You've got to continue to persist, stay true to your uh, your to your own north star, and uh, and just you know it really all comes down to if you believe at whatever point you discover what your unique contribution to the world is. You have to stay focused on that. It does not matter what people think about your unique contribution. What matters is that you deliver it and that as long as you are here in this world, that you can say, I am working on the thing. The fundamental reason why I came into existence, the reason why I participate in this universe is to do blah (laughs) and I'm focused on it. I'm on it. And that does not have to be a boring or a serious or, oh, my God, she takes herself too serious or whatever. It could be the most joyful, happy, you know, kind of incredibly exuberant. It can be slow motion. It can be fast motion. It is whatever you want to do. It's your unique contribution to the world. But what I would fundamentally say is that if you're not doing that, then honestly, what are you doing? 
great closing thought. And thank you for persisting. And again, thank you for your work, because it's really of value in the world. And we need more, more people doing just that. Thank you for joining us today. And I hope if you enjoyed the show, you'll take a moment to subscribe so you don't miss any of the other great upcoming episodes. It's been a pleasure having you on today, Julie. And thank you, Digital Selfers, for joining us. Bye-bye for now. Thank you, Heidi. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for the Evolving Digital Self. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app now so that you don't miss a single episode. While you're at it, please give us a rating and a review and join the digital self-mastery movement to create more conscious use of technology by sharing it and telling your friends. Want to see where you fit on the digital self spectrum and how it might be impacting your business and relationships? Get your free copy of Digital Self Mastery today by clicking on the link in the show notes.